I'm, I'm wondering how many of us have ever uh, been in a place where you, you hated where your life was at. I'm not saying that you're um, uh, suicidal or anything, although uh, I, I think the idea of not wanting to live anymore has probably popped into most people's minds at some point. I had a family member say, it's not that I uh, want to kill myself or anything, but if I died, I don't think I'd complain. Right, that's a really, that's a, that's a crappy spot to be in, right? And, and I'm not asking if you're in that place now. <clears throat> I'm just asking if your life has ever gotten to a place where you felt like it should have gotten to a better place than the place that it's at. Uh, maybe uh, you're not happy or have not been happy with what you have or, or who you're with. Uh, that's a rough thing. I had a guy one time tell me, I think I married the wrong person. I was like, she became the right person once you said I do, just so you know. Right, like you got to figure this out, dude. Oh, or or so sometimes we we get we're miserable because of what we have, where we're at, or 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 who we're with, and we can get we can we can just become very frustrated. We become very frustrated. I talked with a uh, mid twenty year old, twenty uh, six year old uh, this past week, um, and he's a, he's a stud. He's a young dude, and he's upwardly mobile, and everything he touches. Turns to gold, and he was working in a tech company, and then he got to meet, like, the people, the founders, and uh, he, it was very discouraging, uh, and because, I mean, his, his exact comment was, uh, I met them, and they seemed soulless to me, and I felt like I was getting to see my future, and so at 26, he switched careers, and the comment was, so I, I got off that bus, and I, I, th- and I got in another bus, but I think, I think that one's the wrong bus, too. Right, and so he's just kind of. I don't know if I like where I'm at, where I'm at in life. And uh, the scripture talks a lot from the very beginning to the end about all of the the the, the ways that God has, has blessed us, that God is sovereign, that He loves us unconditionally, and and that the appropriate response to that is gratitude and thanksgiving, and then that leads to praise and generosity and and meaning and purpose and all of these things. Um, but sometimes it seems it's, it's hard to get to that place because of the things that we're seeing in our life that are, are robbing us from all of this praise and joy and all this stuff that the Bible says that, that should be a part, a part of our lives uh, right, right now. Uh, but there's a connection uh, between uh, gratitude and, and, our, and our mental health. And uh, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, did a study on this a few years ago. And the study took 90 days, and they had several hundred different students that they grouped into, into three different sections. One was the control group. Uh, they were the group that they just monitored. Then there was another group uh, that had these daily assignments, and the daily assignments was to start every day uh, by journaling for at least five solid minutes on all the things that they were thankful for. And then they had them stop halfway through the study. And then the third group uh, journaled for the whole 90 days, uh, just every single day. They, they wrote down, they spent the first five minutes of every day just writing down everything that they were thankful for. And uh, an MRI uh, measures uh, everything that's happening in your head, and I found this out last night from a, a scientist lady in our church. And she said the way that it works is it measures the fluid in the brain, but an fMRI measures where that fluid is, is flowing and what parts of the brain are are being activated. And so these students were constantly put through those tests where they were just measuring how they're doing at the beginning and then how they were doing at the end. And they came to four different conclusions. And that's what I wanted to start the teaching off today with. And the first conclusion that they came to is that gratitude sets you free from toxic emotions. That was one of the things that they found objectively true. That focusing on the good that we already have in our lives sets you free from toxic emotions because it's kind of hard to be sad when you're looking at all the things you're happy about. Does that make sense? Uh, We let go of negative emotions as we consider the good that's already present in our life. There's a guy named Aeschylus, and nobody knows who this guy is, but you've probably heard of Greek tragedies and plays and that kind of stuff back in the olden days, right? This is like the B.C. time period, and Aeschylus was the first of the three great playwrights of, of Greek history. And he's the one that introduced the idea of a co-star. So like movies all have, you know, lead actors and supporting cast and co-stars. But in human history, all of the plays that were ever written in early human history all revolved around one person. It was Aeschylus who came up with the idea of what if we added another main character to the story? And then it became really robust. And co-stars are like every show, every TV, everything has a co-star. And Aeschylus is the one who came up with the idea of this for the first time in history. And here's what he said. He said, gratitude turns what we have into enough. 
That's what it does. I'll say that gratitude turns who we're with into enough. Gratitude turns uh, where we're at uh, into enough is, is what it does. That was the first thing. Gratitude unshackles you. That was their phrase. Gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions. Number two, gratitude helps even if we don't share it with other people. And, and I didn't understand that, so I had to dig a little bit deeper into the study. And what they had had the, the two different other groups do was they had them write once a week. They had to write a letter of gratitude to somebody that they were thankful for or somebody who had done something for them that they were thankful for. Um, so they would have this group right here write the letter and not send it. This group would write the letter and send it. And what they found uh, was that the effects of gratitude, that it changed their, their view of life, whether they mailed the letter or not. Because the part that affected them most was not how their gratitude was received as much as it was the fact that they had focused on what they were thankful for. That's what had made the biggest difference uh, in, in, the, in their life. The third thing they found out is that gratitude's benefits are cumulative over time rather than immediate. So with all three of these different groups, in the first week that they started starting every day for five minutes writing what they were thankful for, uh, there, wasn't any, there wasn't a measurable difference between the group that wasn't doing anything and these, these other, other two groups. Uh, but over the course of time, there was an accumulative, and I'll tell you how in just a minute uh, when I get to what the, I, I talked about the MRI stuff uh, at the beginning, I'll tell you how they measured this uh, in just a second. Um, but it, it, it built up over time. And so you've got the control group, and this is the way they felt about life. This group is starting five minutes every single day, uh, writing all the things that they were thankful for. for well, all the, the five minutes journaling what they were thankful for. And, and the, the noticeable difference built, built up over time. And at the end of the study, this group was right here. And so you would think that the other group that kept doing it for the next 45 days, if this is where they were at, this is where they're at, then this would be, and it would be a steady line. But what they found out is that it had a compounding effect. Uh, so that this group was right here, but this group that kept doing it had a significantly higher measurable contentment in life than, than this group. So it doesn't just adds, it like builds on each other in it. So like if, if, if today's teaching makes any type of a, a difference in your life, you're not going to, like you, you might, like God might say something to you in your heart as a result of something that we read in the Bible today. Um, but and, and you might decide to do something with that today, but it isn't going to measurably make a difference in your life unless this becomes a regular practice in your life uh, over, the, over the course of time. And the fourth thing they found out was is that it had a lasting benefit. So even after the study was over, after they were forcing these students to write down all the things that they were grateful for and send a letter once a week to everybody that they had made a difference in their life, they came back months later, and here's what they found. Uh, they said that people... Um, who are more grateful showed greater, you can tell I'm not the one who wrote this, listen to this. They, they showed greater neural sensitivity in the medial prefrontal cortex. Isn't that a blessing? I'm so grateful for that. What it means is that there is, there is more, they showed greater uh, mental activity, healthy brain activity, and the part of the brain that's associated with learning and making healthy decisions. It made a qualitative difference in our life over, over time, is what it did. Uh, Kristen Armstrong is an Olymp is, is Olympianist. Olympicist? <laughs> Olympiad? What is she? Olympiad? That don't feel right. <laughs> She's an Olympicist. That's the word. She's an Olympic athlete. There you go. Here's what she said. She said, when we focus on gratitude... The tide of disappointment washes out and the tide of joy comes back in, is what it does. And you may have showed up today hoping for a teaching on parenting or reconciliation or dating relationships or marriage or anxiety. I have no idea. But one of the things that this study said is that we spend so much of our lives pursuing things that we don't have, that we don't celebrate or enjoy the things we already do have. Gratitude reverses our priorities, they said, to help us appreciate the people in our lives, the opportunities that are presented to us, and the possessions that we already have access to. The famous rabbi said this, 
Happiness is not having what you want. It's wanting what you, you know them. Um, every year we go to, uh, in February, we take a mission trip to uh, Guatemala. Guatemala is one of our very first mission partnerships. Uh, next week, by the way, we're starting the Hope Project, uh, and I'm really, really excited about it. The brochure that we, we, we already have them in the office, like, I want to give them to everybody now, and they're like, no, it's, don't, it's not this week, it starts next week. But Guatemala is one of our first projects. We went into San Lucas, and because this, the, the country of Guatemala had said that this was one of the most uh, malnourished and undereducated uh, communities around Guatemala City, and Grace Church has made a tangible difference there. Uh, there is now a feeding program that feeds over 150 kids uh, every single day. Uh, there's moms that are being taught to read. We have uh, uh, like career development programs, after school tutoring options, and, uh, and, and a Guatemalan-led church that's completely transformed the entire community. It's really cool. So, uh, and there's several different projects like that throughout Guatemala. Our, our church has just kind of taken responsibility for, for San Lucas. So San Lucas is one of those places that they always take churches that visit Guatemala too because they say, this is what can happen over the course of time if a church gets really invested in one community with one local church to make a difference. So we get to go see them every year. Uh, we, go in, we go in February. They have a, a uh, guest home for all of the, the American churches that come to visit all the different projects in Guatemala. Uh, and there's the largest guest home they have. It's, it, it houses 40 people. So we normally pack that out. So that's going to be in February. We do that every February here at Grace Church. And this February is no different. But when we started going there, uh, the, 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 the minimum wage for Guatemala is uh, $400 a month. I'm thinking everybody here probably makes more than that. I'm thinking, yes, probably. Uh, if you were homeless under a bridge, your check that you get from the state is bigger than that one every, every month. So even our homeless under bridges get bigger checks than that every month. And here's what's crazy. 70% of the population makes even less than that. 35% uh, of the population has no access to electricity. In many of the villages and the, and the communities and the, and the rural areas don't have any running water or access to any sanitation. There's just poop running in the streets. So when we go as a church and visit some of these places, you can see over the course of a week people's attitudes start changing about the quality of the life they have back home. And every night you get together in the big room where the fireplace is at and they're like, what's your impression from the day? What do you feel like God's saying to you in your heart or what's something that stood out from the day that you, you hope you don't forget when you get back home? And we just ask for volunteers just kind of like, just debrief a little bit, just kind of verbally process what's, what's happening. And you can hear the way people, gratitude is the thing that always comes up in almost everybody before the end of the week because sometimes it takes us losing what we have before we realize the value of what we had. You know what I mean? Like we forget how good we already have it. Everybody in this room is wealthier than 85% of everybody else on the planet. You guys know that, right? Everybody in here is wealthier than 85% of the rest of the people who inhabit this planet. Like, but we're not happy with what we have because all I'm looking at is everything I, what, don't have all the time. I'm obsessed with everything I, I, I don't have. And, and, and I don't want to say so are you because I don't, I, don't, I don't know you. Maybe you are the most grateful person in the world, but I, I don't think that gratitude is something that describes the average person living on this side of the world. And what I want you to see is that there is already good in your life. And as a result of the teaching today, I want to show you that the good and the beautiful things in your life are a gift to you from God. And he, I don't think, is crazy to expect that we're grateful for what he's done for us. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you go to James chapter 1. James 1. James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mom. They had different dads. James's dad was Joseph. And Jesus' dad is, the, is God the Father. James chapter 1, verse 17, he says this, whatever is good and perfect that's in your life, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens and he never changes or casts shadows. 
He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we out of all creation get to become his prized possessions. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, when you walked in, there are people standing in the back of the auditorium, and they have these programs for you. Now, the front of the program, now if you're a first-timer, you probably they offered it to you, and you took it. But if you're a regular, you're like, I already read the front. We know you read the front. The back side has prompts so that you can think of things to write down from the teaching that might help you after you leave the weekend. If you have that, I want you to take it out. And if you have a pen, I want you to get ready to write something down. If you didn't grab that, open up your cell phone and go to the Notes app on your phone. All right, everybody go to the notes app. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down three things that are either good or beautiful in your life. Three things that are good or beautiful in your life. And don't say your eyes. <laughs> My eyes are good and beautiful. No, I'm talking about like what has God brought into your life that is good and beautiful? Can you think of three things? Three things, come on. Like, I can't think of nothing. If you wrote down the name of a cat, you wrote the wrong answer. However, we will accept a dog's name. Anybody? Amen on that one? No? I just didn't see who I made enemies with. What? Write down three things that are good and beautiful. Three things in your life that are just like, this is good, man. This is, like a, this is a good thing. Oh, and I want to read James chapter 1, verse 17 again. Whatever is good and perfect, whatever is good and beautiful that is in your life is a gift that came down to you from who? Who is that from, according to the Bible? Who is that from? It's from God. That's who it's from. Why would God give me anything? Some of us, we feel like, uh, like God's just waiting to crush us because of some of the stupid stuff that we've done. Why, why would God choose to be good to me? I mean, I've, I've done the same sins over and 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 over again. And I've asked him to forgive me over and 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 over again, knowing that I would do it again. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, I feel like at some point, I mean, if God was like anybody else, then at some point, a long, long time ago, he should have just kicked me to the curb. Because of the amount of times I continue to do this stuff, I promise I'm never going to do again. And you don't even need the Bible for that. Like, even if you're not religious, you've done things that broke your own conscience. Right? Like, where, what's that about? Like, if there is no God, if there is no objective truth, is there, if, there, if there is no objective right and wrong, how do you explain that thing that happens on the inside? Well, well the Bible answer, answers that. But why would God do anything good for us? Why is his posture toward me good? And we get the answer for that in Romans chapter 2, and here's what he says. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Because the truth is, God is the creator of life, and the consequence for walking away from life, it makes sense, would be death. God is the source of good. When we walk away from good, we find bad, source of holiness. We walk away from that, we find evil. And if God is the source of life, then truthfully, he would be within his rights to kill me, right? And the fact that he has, he continues to bring good into my life. Like the truth is, I'm in so much debt to God, I, like nobody here could ever repay the good that God has already done. And so the writer of Romans says, do you not recognize that? That there's nothing good that God ever brought to your life that he owed you. God's never been in your debt. You've never, he's never owed you anything, but he continues to give. And so the writer of Romans, his name is Paul, he says this, he goes, does that mean nothing to you? Like, why do we still go to God telling him all the stuff he still hasn't done for me? Right? Like our prayers, like if you look at what we're praying for, I wonder if we were to measure the gratitude versus the give me's. Like how much of my prayer time is not centered on all that God has already done as much as all the stuff I expect him to still do, right? And so the writer, Paul goes, does it, does it not mean anything to you that he's already done? Like how can you be upset about the life that you have? Your own life itself is a gift. Everything about you is a gift, and here's what he says. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? That's why God would continue to be good to you, to turn your heart towards him. When I uh, was a freshman in college, I got to know this girl named Becky uh, Richardson. 
And Becky Richardson and I did not hit it off at all. We had a couple of classes together. Our parents went to college together, so I had known who she was uh, because uh, twice when we were younger, our families had gotten together once when I was four, another time when I was in seventh grade. And then uh, Becky, who, again, I did not get along with, told me at the end of my freshman year, hey, next year my sister's coming here. And I was like, oh, great, now there will be two of you. I didn't say that to her, but I was thinking it. Well, then the next year, I walk into the cafeteria, and I see Becky talking to Dr. Howard. And in between them was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my entire life. Like the ceiling tiles parted in the cafeteria, a sun ray beamed down. Butterflies popped up out of the carpet. Bambi walked in, and a blue bird sat on her shoulder. And they started singing. It was amazing. And I remember thinking, dear God, if you love me, let me make out with her before I die. <laughs> now, it ended up much better than that. I married her. So I've known Billy since my wife, her name is Billy, married a chick with a dude's name, but she doesn't look like a dude, which makes it a whole lot easier for me to make out with her. But um, she didn't like me at first. Crazy, right? I had to woo this girl, right? Like, it was work. Like, I'm, I'm just like, like, wherever she would, like, hang out, I would just go there and hope that she was going to hang out there again today, but I was already there. So it's not, I don't want to be a stalker. I'm a pre-stalker. I get there before she gets there. I ain't following her there. I ain't crazy. I'll just sit there for eight hours when she walks in for five minutes. That's, that's what I do. And you start bringing good you start wanting to bless, like you're wanting to be kind and you're, you're sweet and you're, you're thoughtful and you know what I mean? Like, why am I doing this? Because I'm wanting to turn her heart towards who? Not Keith Webster. He was an idiot. Why did she date him for three months? We will never know. We will never know. But they broke up and she's walking across the uh, little creek in the middle of campus she's crying. I'm like, oh, what's the matter? Come here, tell me all about it. <laughs> all right. I put in a crap ton of work to get to this moment, though. I earned this. I earned that. All right. In the same way that I would want to do good to woo her heart, God has blessed you so much that his intention is that you someday get to the place and go, like, how, why is this? And you'll, you'll give credit somewhere else. You go, it must be my lucky day. Bro, there's never been no lucky day. There's just a God that loves you. My stars, my sign. That's witchcraft. There's just a God that loves you, man. Who has blessed you more than you know you deserve. So that, according to the Bible, his heart would turn towards you. God has an agenda, full stop. He has an agenda for you to grab your heart, to make it fully alive so that you can become his prized possession. How? By bringing all of that awesome stuff into your life. That's how. So at the time that I have left, I want to share with you three things I know to be true about God and his goodness in your life. My wife likes this part. Like she's like, give me like a, here's three things, here's three points, here's three questions. Like she likes writing notes. So if you're a note taker, this is the part of the sermon you like best. The rest of you, like, oh my gosh, this feels like school. All right, number one is this, nobody is self-made. Nobody's a self-made man. Nobody's a self-made woman. None of us are self-made. What are your best qualities? Go back to your notes app, and now I want you to write down your best two qualities. What are your best two qualities? I'll give you my, my best two qualities. And I'm being, I'm being honest and sincere here, uh, as opposed to the rest of the sermon when I was lying and inauthentic, um, apparently. I hate it when preachers say, let me be honest. I'm like, what are you, normally a freaking liar? Like, I, I hate when preachers say that. Um, but in full transparency, that's better, in full transparency. I think my two best qualities are that I can walk into a room with strangers and make friends before I leave. I can do that. 
I can instant, like, that's, a, that's a, and some of you guys have that same, that same gift, right? It's, it's a personality thing. I didn't choose this. Like, my wife, was, she's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I didn't choose to be an extrovert. Some of you guys have, are introverts, and you tried to be extroverts, and it wore you out, and you hate people. <laughs> Others of you, you're extroverts, and you're tired of embarrassing yourself, and you tried to be an introvert, and that didn't work either. Like, you are who God made you. Like, that's something he put in you. Like, that quality. Like, what is your best quality? I think that's, that's one of my best qualities. I think I, think I have, an, so my best two qualities, I think one is uh, I can walk into a room with strangers and make buddies. Um, uh, two, my, my second best quality, uh, I think, is that I'm a, a glasses half full kind of guy. Like, I can, oh, this will be fine. We can work it out. Come on. Like, it'll be all right. Right? Like, that's, so I'm, I'm more on the positive side. I, I think that's a quality. Qual, like, I can be really spontaneous. So, like, when things get changed, I can just roll with it. And my wife was like, oh, now we need to sit and plan for six days <laughs> how to respond. Like, that's, that's, that's my wife. Uh, like, when she calls people, she thinks through the things she's going to talk about on the phone. I think that's psychotic. <laughs> just call them, and when you're done talking, hang up. And hopefully it ain't too long. Like, I like talking in person. I don't like listening, ever, in person. Like, I'm just, a, right? Like, that's, anyway, that's the bad side of my good quality. Look, what are your qualities? All right, you wrote them down. Here's what I want you to do. Tell them to somebody you're with. Tell them to somebody you're with. What are your, what are your good qualities? And if you're sitting by yourself, I was going to say text them to somebody, but that would be random. I'm awesome at these two things. <laughs> Holy crap. What kind of a hedonistic, humanist church are you in right now? You ain't the hero of the world. Jesus is. I know that. But what I want you to see is that whatever is good and perfect is a gift to you from God. Your best qualities are a gift from God. You didn't choose to be born introverted or extroverted. That was a gift. You didn't choose to be great with numbers. Like, like you, you can see, like you remember things like sequentially. Others of us make random patterns out of, out of things is what we do. We see patterns and you see linearly. And like that way that you're naturally wired was a gift to you from God. You didn't choose to be born with all four limbs working. You didn't choose to be born colorblind or, or colors sighted. I don't know what that's called. Um, you didn't, like you didn't, you didn't choose any of these. You didn't choose the day you were born. You're not going to choose the day that you die. Everything about you is borrowed. 100% of you is borrowed. You didn't choose where you were going to be born. Like for real, you, all you choose is what you do with what God gave you. So nobody here is self-made. Whatever you've made of your life, it's because you leveraged something that did not come from you, it came from God. And that's why we're grateful. Now, you might regret the choices that you've made with the opportunities that God presented, but that's not on God. The fact that he would give you another chance to reconcile, that would be something to be grateful for. Or if God still brought good, even when you made stupid mistakes, he still worked that out for something good, that would be something to be grateful for also. Remember the Torah that says, be careful, those of you who've said that by my own hands have I created my wealth. Because then Moses goes on to say, who gave you those hands? Those hands by which you created your wealth. God is the giver of good things. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a rock? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If so, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who has no sin give good things to those who ask them? That's, that's future tense. That means that God isn't even done doing good things for you. That's awesome. He says you can ask. So even though God's already done enough, you still get to ask. And the same thing is true for me as a father with my kids. I don't mind my, my, ki my, my kids are 28, 25, uh, and 20. And I don't mind them asking for anything. I just don't want them to ask as though I owe it to them. That's all. Ask for whatever you want. I'm your dad. Holy crap, I love you with all of my heart. If it, would, if it is within my power and not against my conscience, and I think, it, like, I'm not going to spoil my kid. I think that would be bad for them, right? So I don't pay their bills. You're a grown-up adult. Pay her. And Garrett's living with me for free, and I, he has not paid rent for the last two months. 
Somebody needs to tell that kid he needs to pay me some money. Nah, he's fine. He, he's getting out in January. That's the condition. Um, and he has to take his dog. With him, somebody say amen. I'm finding little dogs. Those are Tootsie Roll doo-doos. But this is a snicker doo-doo dog. And that's, that's too big of a dog. Anyway, sorry. You're like, you talk about doo-doo in church. Now it's talking about candy bars. Anyway, um, but he can ask anything he wants. He really can. And I, I don't ever want him to get to the place where he feels like he can't ask me. Like, that would genuinely make me sad. If my son, my daughter, or my other son stopped bringing things to me. So I don't, I think God wants you to keep talking to him. I think it's okay for you to say that I'm, I'm, I wish my life was in a different place. I think the problem is that you, des- you deserve, you should take. I, I, think that, I think that we need to consider why we're in the place that we're in. I think that, well, that's what we need to do. With that 26-year-old that I was talking to earlier this week, he got off one bus because he, he saw where that one ends. I don't want to go to that town. And he gets on another bus and he doesn't know where that one is or he, now that he's starting to see where this bus is going, he's not sure that he should be on, on this bus either. And so I asked him, I said, do you believe that God is sovereign? Yes, I believe that God is sovereign. Do you think that God loves you? Yes. Do you think that God sees you where you're at? Yes. Then do you think there's something good that God wants to bring out of this? He said, yes. I said, do you think you've pulled that out of it yet? And he said, no. I said, then what do you think you ought to do? All I'm doing is just asking questions. Because I don't think I need to leave until I figure out what it is. I said, what do you think it is that God's trying to do in your life? And then he told me. And he's very transparently honest about something that's broken in him that working here is bringing up. And it's making him uncomfortable. And I said, I don't know that you should ever run from something as much as you should be running to something. So don't go to something. Don't, don't quit this job because you're running from what this is bringing up in your life, right? Uh, like when we quit something, it's because we've been called or have the opportunity to something that makes a bigger difference for the kingdom of God. So we don't run from problems. We run to opportunities. Does that make sense? And if there's not an opportunity to run to, I don't think you ought to leave. If there's not an opportunity for you to go to, I don't think you ought to run from what you're doing. Um, I think this needs to be worked on. I know this in my life. Um, I, I first learned this lesson when I was a senior in high school. My dad was on the school board, and the school board had made a decision to fire this lady uh, in, our, in our school uh, because of some crazy stories of immorality that all the students talked about all the time. Well, the school board made a decision uh, to fire her. Her husband worked in the school system and worked at my school and was my teacher. <clears throat> he knew my dad was on the school board and was ticked uh, that they fired his wife. Um, And my dad was on the board that fired her, you know. But anyway, uh, he was going to take that out on me and made my life um, miserable my senior year. So I went to my dad, said, "Um, can you fire him too? He goes, no, I'm not firing him. Like He's a good teacher. I was like, but he's a jerk. And my dad said this. He said, "Um, Sean... And he walked me through the same thing. Does God love you? Yes. Does God see you? Did God know this was going to be a part of your story? Yes. Then do you think God wants to use this in your life? Yes. How do you think he wants to use this? I was like, I don't know, to make me miserable. Like, is that God's vibe? No, that's not God's vibe. And here's what he said. Whatever it is you need to get from this, you need to learn it the first time, or for the rest of your life, God's going to keep bringing these people into your life until you do learn it. Like, if you've got to walk through the desert, dang it, find the burning bush, or you stay, in the burning, you stay in the desert for the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're in a pile of, like, right, there's like that, um, uh, that story about these, uh, these kids that were given, like, they're put in a room, uh, some kind of test. I don't think it's true. I think it's a joke, but I don't know how the punchline goes. So, like, no one will laugh at the end or whatever. But anyway, this one kid sees this big, big, big pile of poop, and he gets all mad. Why did you guys give me a big pile of poop? And the other kid sees the same pile of poop, and he jumps in, and he's going through it. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> right? Like, if you've got to walk through a pile of poop, find a pony. 
or at some other point in your life, God's going to bring you right back to that same pile of poop, and you're going to keep coming back to this until you learn it, until you learn it, until you learn it. And that's how you can even thank God for the big piles of poop in your life. Because I can thank God for my experience with that guy when I was a senior in high school because God taught me conflict resolution through that circumstance. And I think that's one of the things I'm good at as a leader is conflict resolution. But I'm only good at that because I've had to do it so stinking much. So all the different piles of poop had conflict written on them. Like some people are unhappy with their life because of the circumstances they're in or they don't have enough. For me, it's always been a who has always made me unhappy. So I've always had to figure out how to reconcile with the who. Not recon- Some of you guys, what's always made you happy is reconciling with the what or the where. And for me, it's always been a who. So I can thank God even for the difficult things in my life. I can be grateful for that because of the good that he brought out of it. My mom was abused um, for five years in her uh, childhood by her own father. And what my mom will tell you now is that she would never, ever want to live through those years ever again. But she also wouldn't change that part of her story because of what God did uh, through all of that horrible stuff. And God didn't bring the poop into her life. God doesn't do that. God doesn't, he's not the author of sin. He's not the one who brings sinful things that people have done against us into our life. But like Joseph, who said what Satan intended for evil, God used for good, what Satan brought into my, lo- my mom's life as a kid, he intended to ruin her life with. But what happened instead was she took all of that to God over the course of the next couple of decades and was healed from that. And now what Satan brought into her life to kill her with has now been rebuilt into a platform on which she points other people to Jesus with. So she can even be grateful for the darkest times in her life because of the way that God used those bad times to bring out something good that she wouldn't have gotten in any other way. So it's almost like Satan tries to wound us and hurt us, but then when we recognize that God is good even when life is bad, all that did was serve to make us stronger. And some of us are laying down next to our bike on the sidewalk with scraped up knees, mad at God for taking the training wheels off. And all he's been trying to do is help you learn how to ride. So you can be grateful that he took off the training wheels. You can be grateful that you have a bike. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so the first thing that we learn is that no one is an island. No one, no one is a self-made uh, or man or a self-made woman. And here's the problem. As long as I think I'm the source of all that is good in my life, then I will continue. Uh, as long as I think I'm the source of all that's good in my life, I develop a scarcity mentality and my choices are made in fear of not losing any of the stuff that I've gained. But I rec- when I recognize that everything that's good in my life came to me from God, I can hang on to these things a little bit more loosely. These things no longer are the source of my identity because I know even if I lose all of those things, I know where they came from and he can give me more. Does that make sense? I've used this metaphor a lot, and I think it works. With each one of my kids, all three of them, uh, when they were little, I used to make their cereal for them because they couldn't make it, right? So I'd pour the bowl, and then I'd pour the milk, I'd put the spoon in it, and I'd hand it to them. And with all three kids, I would say, now, can I have the first bite? Right? I'm teaching. uh, it's, It's always been a thing with all of my kids. And none of them but my daughter have, my daughter only, none of them love me. That's what I found out. They, they love Fruit Loops. That's what they love. They love Fruit Loops more than Daddy. So I say, can I get the first bite of Fruit Loops? And they always say, what? Because they feel like, like now that I have my Fruit Loops, if I give my Fruit Loops to anybody else, I have less Fruit Loops. But they forget where the Fruit Loops came from. Where do the Fruit Loops come from? From their what? From their father. And guess what he has behind his back? a whole lot more Fruit Loops. So as long as I think I'm the Fruit Loop King, my life is ruled by fear and scarcity. But when I remember where all of the good things in my life come from, I'm set free from those things. Does that make sense? Then things come, things go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Who said that? Job. But blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why Paul said, with a lot 
or with a little. I have learned the secret, and that's to be content, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of that was recognizing where good comes from. Maya Angelou said, when we accept gratefully, then we begin to give cheerfully and everybody is blessed. And I need to fly through this. So here's number two and number three. Ready? So the first thing I learned is that nobody, nobody's self-made. Second thing that I learned is that God is the giver and the owner. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of its people belong to him. Everything belongs to God. God's up here looking at all of us down here fighting over stuff. And all of he goes like, you guys are going to die, like generations and generations. I own all this crap. You guys are morons. Like, I wonder if that's the perspective. Uh, Hebrews 3 verse 4 says, For every house has a builder, but the builder of everything is who? Is God. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 25, it's towards the end of the first book of the New Testament, of the Christian New Testament. Uh, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like, or is like. Remember, all of Jesus' parables are a description of what it looks like to voluntarily choose to live under the authority of God. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a master who has three servants, and he, has, he divides up all of his wealth into eight portions. And he gives the first servant five portions. He gives the second servant two portions, and he gives the third servant one portion. And he gives to each one of them unfairly. But he gives it to them in proportion to what he knows they can handle. So let's think on that for a second. Some of us have two, and we're upset that we didn't get five. You have, right now, what God intends you to learn to manage. Why would he give you more to mismanage? Are you with me? Like, if you can't learn to be spiritually and emotionally healthy as a single person, why would he bring somebody else's into your chaos? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think we need to learn to be okay with where we're at and what we have. So five, two, and one. And then he goes away for an undesignated amount of time. And then he comes back at a time that is unannounced. And he calls each one of his servants in. This is what Jesus said it's like. And he says to this first servant, what have you done? And he said, I know that you are a wise and good master and that everything that I do with this matters to you. So I did what I thought you would want me to do with it. So you gave me five. Here's five more and it all belongs to you, which is the appropriate perspective for everything that we have. Everything that we, you don't get to keep any of it. <clears throat> On the day it was predetermined that you die, you have to give everything back. And now you're held accountable to God for what you did with it all. That's the story. And the master will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your reward. The second servant comes up, and he said, what did you, what, what, what's going, what happened with you? And he goes, you gave me two, and I know that you are a good and wise master, and everything that I do with this is important to you, so I manage these two the way that I thought you wanted me to manage them, so I got two more, and here you go. And that guy gets the exact same reward as the first guy. You know why? Because what you have is not as important as what you do with what you have. The third guy comes in and he goes, I was just afraid. So here you go. And he said, wicked, lazy, slothful servant. And he was cast out. He's the giver and he's the owner. I'm a steward. I'm a manager. Everything that I have, like when I put my money in the bank, Citizens Bank had better do with it what we agreed they would do with it, or somebody's going to jail. And it ain't me. And when I want it back, guess what they got to do? They got to do what? They got to give it back. But they manage it. They are in full control of it. You and I, are, I'm in full control of my free will. But even my ability to think is a gift. All, everything that I am, dude, everything is from God. I am a manager of this body, for better or for worse. I am a manager of my marriage. I'm a manager of my relationship with my kids. I'm a manager of my future, my present, my, my career. My, like, I'm, I'm a manager. And I'll be held accountable because God is both the giver and the owner. The third thing that I learned. So number one, 
Nobody is self-made. Number two, God is the giver and the owner. And number three, gratitude is the recognition that it all came from God. That's the appropriate response. Uh, Garrett, he's 28. He's an outdoorsy guy. So I said, hey, let's do something. I, I saw a, a TikTok or Instagram reel. Everybody's cross-posting now. So uh, I don't have TikTok because the Chinese are spying. So I just look at all the best ones on, tic, on uh, Instagram reels. Uh, and... And this dude goes, he turns 50, and he goes, every two months, I want to do something that I normally wouldn't do. So I bring this up to Garrett. He's like, so uh, how about the week after Thanksgiving, we all go camping in New Hampshire? So now I'm stuck, and I'm going camping the week after, New Hampshire, after Thanksgiving in New Hampshire. I'm going to freeze my butt off. So they'll be in the tent. I will be, they'll find me in the Cherokee in the morning is where I'll be with the motor running and the heat on is where, where I'm, I'm going to be. But Garrett said what he misses most about living in Denver is that within 25 minutes, he could be in a spot where there's nothing man-made. And he says, for me, it's easier. It's what my son said. I love this. He said, it's easier for me to focus and worship God in an environment that doesn't have anything made by man. Because in the city where everything is made by man, it hides everything made by God. And I'm wondering if there are some times in our life when we sit in our cars in the driveways of our home, having returned from our jobs, where we made our money and forget that all of this is temporary, and it's a gift from the one who one day will hold us accountable for what we did with it. And because of that, the psalmist says in Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good. Why is he good? Because he gave you everything you have that's good and beautiful. God is not the source of the evil and the pain and the hurt in your life. He's good. He absolutely loves you. I'm not the one that broke Billy Jane's heart when Keith Webster dumped her because he's an idiot. I'm the one who'd been good the whole time she was dating that idiot. You know what I mean? Like, that's God. The whole time you were going through that, there's little pieces of blessing and good that you might not have even been looking at him. You weren't in a relationship with him yet then. But he was still adding good into your life because he knew that there was going to be a day when you would stop and consider whether or not he actually does love you and then you'd be able to look back and see all the proof that he does. Right? That's why Ephesians chapter 5 says, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do or say, do it as the representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And even when things get bad, we can be thankful. You know why? Because Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, even the pain of your childhood. God can use for good. There's a posture that we take in all of our relationships. I can either be open or I can be closed. We can be welcoming or we can be apprehensive, right? Um, we can lean in, we can be defensive, we can be giving, or we can be guarded. And there's a posture that you right now have in your relationship with God. All of my children are adults and are capable of making their own decisions, but I don't ever want them to forget all the ways that I have cared for them and my wife has cared for them. And they don't owe me anything but thanks. Same thing I owe my parents. None of our parents are perfect, but none of us would be here without them. I'm not crazy to expect a certain type of humility from my kids in recognition of what my wife and I have done for them. And I don't think God is off base to expect that and more from each of us also. And I'm asking you to do three things today. The first thing I'm asking you to do is to acknowledge that you are dependent on God for the goodness in your life. That you aren't the source of all things beautiful, but that God is. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to acknowledge your gratitude for the fact that he's going to use even the bad things for good when you start being obedient to him in the middle of the bad things. And the third thing is I want you to commit to him your willingness to offer every part of your life to do what he wants you to do with that part of your life because it's from him. So I'll ask you if you would to bow your head and we'll pray. And I want you to talk to God, not to me. Talk to God. What I want you to do is I want you to thank him for the three things that you wrote down. Can you do that real quick? What are the three things you wrote down? God, I know that I am not the source of all things good and beautiful. And I accept what the Bible has to say about the good and beautiful things in my life, that they're gifts from you. And if these come from you, as the Bible says they do, I, I think it would be appropriate for me to say thank you. And if all things in my life are a gift, 
then I am accountable for all things. So I'm asking you to show me any part of my life that I've not been willing to offer to you, and I'm going to make that right right now. Maybe you have not been godly in your marriage. Maybe you've not been godly through your divorce. Maybe you're not godly in your singleness. I don't know. Like, what's the part of your life that brings you the most discontent? Does God see you, yes or no? Is God sovereign, yes or no? And can he use this for something good, yes or no? Then maybe you shouldn't be running from but leaning in. And maybe your prayer is, God, show me what you want me to do next. Let me not run. Let me not hide. Let me not live in fear. Let me boldly just do the next right thing, trusting you to work it out. Can you make that your prayer? Let me do the next right thing because I know I'm responsible to you. You have my yes for whatever you want. God, I'm yours. If you're going through a difficult season, then your prayer is, God, if I've got to walk through this bad situation, help me to find the good in it. I'm fine walking through the desert as long as there's a burning bush at the end. I can go through the valley of the shadow of death as long as I know it's just a valley and I'll get to the other side someday. But if I have got to go through pain, dear God in heaven, just don't waste it. Don't waste it. Do something good with it. Help me to be the source of good in somebody else's life. Got to let other people feel loved by me when they're around me. Let them walk away more encouraged than they were when they walked up. Let me be that kind of presence in people's lives. This is our prayer. God, we ask you to bless us so that we can be a blessing. We ask you to help us love others because you love us, to forgive others because you forgive us, and to be kind and generous because you're kind and generous. So God, help us to continue knocking off the rough parts of who we are, the sinful parts, so that we can become more like Jesus. This is our prayer. We ask this in his name, and we all say it together, amen. If you would, please stand up. <laughs> With a real slim shady, please stand up. <laughs> who else thought of that? Raise your hand. Any other pagans in the room? I'm just checking to see. Hey, you're in church. This is the best place for you pagans. And me, I guess I'm the one that said it, right? Glad you guys are here. We're just going to sing the chorus. Uh, if you would, when you pick up your kids, uh, let them know how much you appreciate them serving God by serving your family too. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next Sunday.